Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Hello and welcome to Women on the Line, Community Radio's National Women's Current Affairs Programme. Produced at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. Bernadette McAlisky, better known by her former name Bernadette Devlin, is a prominent Irish Republican socialist, a political activist and a feminist. Since her rise to prominence in the late 1960s, McAlisky was elected at the age of 21 as a member of the British Parliament, where she became famous for punching the British Home Secretary on the parliamentary floor. Over the decades, McAlisky has fought on the streets and at the barricades for civil rights in Northern Ireland, and has even survived an assassination attempt. This week's Women on the Line is a speech that she gave in April this year in Dublin, Ireland at the launch of a People's History magazine charging the events of the aerial bombing of the village of Guernica in the Basque country, Spain. This is the 80-year anniversary of this horrific event, which was led by fascist forces during the Spanish Civil War and immortalised in the dark Picasso painting of the same name. McAlisky took this opportunity to give a wide-ranging and passionate speech about fascism today, which has been edited here for an Australian audience. I'm Aoife Cook. Around the eight-minute mark, McAlisky briefly uses language that some may find offensive. And here, McAlisky opens her speech by praising those who have produced the magazine and their search for an honest record of political events. Thanks very much. And, and I think when you, when you sit uh, and listen to the stark facts, the historical realities of what happened in, in Guernica, you become very aware of the importance of the small things that we all have to do to ensure that history is never forgotten. The real history of real people, which is reviewed and revised and distorted and made to fit new dispensations and new agendas routinely so that almost in every generation, people have to relearn how to survive the battlefield, how to build the struggle, relearn the lessons that if we had the people's history, would be there to pass on. And that's why it is crucial that people continue to do this kind of work. That's why it's crucial to have this magazine. And I have no doubt that there will be people who will read it and 
they'll pick holes in it. God be with the hole pickers. <laughs> there will be people whose line is not right. Clearly expose themselves as reprobates, reformists, liberals, something or other that's really not good enough and won't win the revolution. But if we didn't produce magazines like this, the poor hole pickers would have nothing to do. <laughs> and we would never have those intrinsic debates that enable us to strive to be ever better and purer in our pursuits. And those things too have their place. We would never have debate, we'd never have discussion. Because as we sit and, 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 and hear what happened in that small town, because by today's standards, that's a small market town. But if we ask ourselves, apart from the strategic importance, apart from what the key warmongers were doing, apart from the key messages that were being sent out, what allowed people, what allowed the guy in the plane to keep doing that? What what allowed the people to keep coming and keep killing women and children and knowing that that's what was happening? It's not that they didn't know. What allowed them to do it? Because whatever that was, it is exactly the same operation of human empathy, dignity, humanity that allows people to do it today because it doesn't matter which side of the argument you hold on who's responsible for what in Syria just think Guernica and multiply and multiply and multiply and multiply and ask have we learned nothing have we learned nothing in the time in between? Did we learn nothing from the Second World War? Did we learn nothing of the tens and hundreds of wars, big and small, that have been fought between? So what is it that allows a human being to engage in the mass destruction? of their fellow and sister human beings. And there's only one thing, you know, you can put in a lot of ingredients, but there's only one thing that allows it to happen. At the point in which it's happening, the perpetrator does not believe that their victims are entitled to the status of human beings. You couldn't do it otherwise. You couldn't do it and go home and not go and see it. You couldn't do it and go home and not live with the demons of it for the rest of your life. Unless you can persuade yourself, and it's remarkable how little persuasion it seems to take, 
that once you can identify any group of people as less than human, you can exterminate them. So it's not that complicated. That's a simple, simple message. I think it was somewhere in Shakespeare it said, those whom the God would, the gods would destroy, they first make mad. <laughs> but those whom the powerful would destroy, they first dehumanize. And so the lesson for us, I think, today is to try and try and look at the world that we live in. What is happening today? What is happening globally? What's happening nationally? What is happening locally? And what are the stark, frightening parallels of today? Do we see that if we knew the truth of the 30s, if we cut through the historical large lies, fake news, fake news. I just, I, I'm, I'm, and I now feel myself, if I go to a meeting and hear myself mention Donald Trump, I'm going to leave <laughs> because we're becoming obsessed with the man. But he talks about fake news and it's interesting. It's interesting how this man has colonized the, and I'm going to say this very carefully, but he has colonized the cryptic semi-inarticulate language of what the Black Panther movement in the 60s called the American lump and the proletariat. So he talks like a redneck. He says things like big lie, things that you see on the internet. You know, I love it. If you know the people who write on Facebook, please don't do it. <laughs> the word is flat, full stop. Fact, full stop. And they think that if you write that, that's what makes it true. Big full stop, fact. And, and Trump talks like that. And we all laugh at him. But in talking like that, he talks the language of ill-informed people who are hurting because their lives are shit, but who are led to believe daily that something less than human, some other species less than human, is the cause of it. The foreigner, the migrant, the refugee, the alien, the Muslim. And what scares me most about, about the present time is that when you, you know, some time back, I'm old enough, I'm not going to tell you how old, but there was a time, you know, when we were young, we called everybody over the age of 30 a fascist. That was in the 60s. What defined a fascist? Age. Over the age of 30, in the 60s, tough. Fascist. Teachers, fascists. <laughs> Parents, fascists. Anybody said you needed a license to get a motorcycle, which was really a scooter, fascist. <laughs> and then wiser people would say to us, don't call people fascists when they're not. 
Because when you have to confront fascism, you need to know what it looks like. This is Women on the Line, and you are listening to Irish Socialist Republican activist Bernadette McAlisky speaking to an audience in Dublin, Ireland, about the importance of understanding how fascism works and what it looks like today. What makes the individual fascist? What makes the fascist movement? And what makes the global authoritarian fascist state? What are the ingredients in that? And I think that we need to know them because I think that we are facing in this time and this generation, you are facing globally the rise of fascism. And so the simplistic understandings that you have historically of what fascism fascism is need to be challenged and corrected. Fascism is not German. Fascism is not German. Fascism is not the Nazism of the Second World War. Predates that. And fascism is not a phenomenon of that period of Western Europe. Fascism, like capitalism from which it grows, like racism, like xenophobia from which it grows, is a global phenomenon. It is an approach to life. And it starts in the heads of individuals. And it is promoted there. People's perception and way of understanding the word is encouraged to consider that what keeps you disadvantaged, what means you don't have enough, is that that lesser breed, that's what it is, it's lesser breeding, that lesser breed has taken what belongs to you. Might be your land, might be your job, but ultimately it's the air that you breathe. And there's a great Alice Walker poem about first they said, you know, what was wrong with us all. First they said we were stupid and then we realized we want. And at the end of this poem, the people realize that what is annoying the fascist is our very existence. Those who will not conform, those who will not believe, those who will not accept, those who will not obey, it is our very existence on the face of this earth that threatens the social order, that threatens the well-being of society, that threatens the economic order. So there would be enough money in the National Health Service if certain kinds of people didn't exist. If we could reduce the population to the deserving, to those entitled, there would be enough to go around. And that's the core, that's the core issue. So who are the deserving? Historically, historically, 
The deserving are those people who somewhere back in the distant past plundered and stole and raped and acquired by murder and destruction, land and property and power. And then, having taken it in violence, having taken it in war and plunder, fashioned laws to prevent anybody taking it back. So by what other names are we calling the rise of fascism? Democracy is one of them. I, I'm watching poor bleeding heart liberals in America. My heart is breaking for them. Not. <laughs> As they watch this man threaten threaten world war because he can. This man poke sticks at North Korea because he can. And liberals saying, well, we, well, he was democratically elected. So was Hitler. So was Hitler. Democratically elected. So maybe one of the things we have to do in trying to unpick and understand what is fascism today is to begin to understand what is democracy. Maybe we have to have a 21st century conversation on what is democracy. Has democracy been reduced to an electoral process that seduces everybody and delivers very little? Especially in a globalized world where the power and authority of the world within its economic machinations are not held within these nation-state institutions. So if we want to understand fascism today, do we need to understand democracy? And the reason I asked that was I was watching TV last night, uh, just watching the news, and there was a discussion with young French people. Uh, interestingly enough, young French males, just, just as it happened, there were no women in that group. But one of the young people were saying about the changes that would need to, to happen, and he was supporting Marie Le Pen. And in the midst of what he was saying, he said, you know, because we have to protect democracy, and the unit of democracy is the nation state. I just went, wow. The unit of democracy is a nation state. Now, the last time that that was effectively publicly debated was between, oh, right at the start of the French Revolution, was between the Republicans, led by Thomas Paine, and essentially the nation state or nationalists, not individual country nationalists, but nationalists as a, as a concept. And the Republicans, of whom I am one, but the Republican argument was, and I might ask it here, how many people here do think that the unit of democracy 
might be the nation state. And thank God for small mercies. <laughs> the Republicans argued that the unit, first basic unit of democracy is the individual. That's why it kind of is open to becoming a very individualist way of thinking if it's not placed all the time within the context of socialism. So if you're a Republican that's not a socialist Republican, you either will have to become a socialist Republican as you grow up and learn more, or you will end up being a nationalist. So you either have to go, Republicanism can't exist outside of, of a context. But when you start to think that the nation state, which was the argument that, that the, the nationalists put up, was that when people delegate their power, when people vote, the nation then becomes the collective voice of the people. And the people cannot disagree with the nation. The nation then becomes almost like one big human being. And the more diverse our nation states have become in the modern world, the more difficult it is for that notion to hold sway. Because before we had nation states, the bringing of nations, which were people, people who shared a culture, people who shared a language, people who shared a way of life, uh, be that nomadic or whatever. Nations, nations in the world around nations were kinships and people, and states were territories that were owned by kings and aristocrats. And then the bringing of these two together, first of all, under monarchies, was the creation of nation states and the carving up of pieces of ground that belonged to certain monarchs. And they created that bond of us versus them. You are listening to a speech from earlier in the year by Bernadette McAlisky on Women on the Line. A feminist and Republican socialist who rose to prominence in the 1960s Northern Ireland peace struggle, McAlisky here reflects on movements of fascism in Western nation states. And because our own history of the development of capitalism in Europe and imperialism in Europe, which sent the British and the Spanish and the Portuguese and the Dutch and the Germans to rape and plunder the rest of the world. It was necessary if you were going to do that with your weapon in one hand and your Bible in the other to persuade both the people at home and the people abroad that there was something fundamentally being superior about being white, about being European, and about being Christian. We have a problem in that even though Trump, I don't think he's a fascist, he's a populist, he's a fascist too. And even though he is that, pitched against North Korea, He is, as they would say in the old days, Arthur. He's white, he's Christian, he's male, and he's on the side of Europe. At this point in history, 
there is one single group of people, much like the 30s. There's one single group of people, doesn't matter where you are, where you are, America, Europe, Paris, Dublin, the single most dangerous group of people in the world is what? We all know. Who are the most dangerous people on the face of the world today? White people. Well, exactly. But that's not what people think. People walk in terror of Muslims. But the global enemy today is the Muslim. In much the same way that almost every ill, the poverty of the 30s, the inequality of East and West, almost everything in the 30s could be blamed on the Jew. And that is now the Muslim. And we buy it. We buy it. We don't challenge it. We get on with the economic realities, but we don't challenge that core issue. The issue that will define us in this, in this, that will define this generation in the future will be the bodies drowning in the Mediterranean. Will be the lives destroyed in Syria. Will be the people who died in refugee camps. When we had room for them all, we had room for them all. The big lie that there isn't room, that we have to manage it, there's no room, is a lie. Same as the Guernica lie. And we're sleepwalking to a third world war. And then whenever I'm long gone, people say, she said that. People always say that about 15 years after I say something, and they say, you shouldn't have said that, said she said that, she was right. But we are. We are sleepwalking towards an international war. This is important. Never underestimate the importance of the people who remind you what happened in the past. Because if you forget, you will be made to remember when in your lifetime, if not mine, it will happen again. Thank you. That was Bernadette McAlliskey. She currently works with migrant workers to improve their treatment in Northern Ireland. Her memoir, written at the height of her prominence in 1969, The Price of My Soul, continues to inspire many activists today. Women on the Line is Community Radio's National Women's Current Affairs programme. It's produced and presented by a range of women broadcasters from 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network with funding support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The theme music for Women on the Line is Slideshow at Free University by La Tigre.